Good morning. So, if you have not been at this church for 15 years or more, you've not seen me preach. <laughs> and so when Darren was on his, going on his sabbatical, um, you know, the guys, you know, that be Brad and Mike and, and Brian, our, our elder emeritus, um, uh, they were signing up and, and, you know, so each of these guys took like two messages each and I'm like, uh, I have to do something. I got to step up here. So, so that's what I'm doing. So I, I am stepping up, and um, and you know my my temptation was is to throw all some kind of all kinds of disclaimers and and self-deprecating comments and everything. But God convicted me. That that's just going to serve me. It's just going to serve my pride. It's not about me. It's it's about God's word. So let's let's pray and and ask God's blessing here. Lord, we are, um, Lord, we are needy people. Lord, we are hungry people. Lord, um, Lord, and as, as newborn birds, Lord, crane their neck heavenward, Lord, to be fed, Lord, we, we crane our, our, our necks spiritually, Lord, to hear from you, Lord, to, um, to hear from your word. Lord, to hear from your heart this morning. So, Lord, I, I pray for the preacher, Lord, that you would, Lord, grant clarity of mind, Lord, and, um, and your grace, Lord, to communicate, Lord, and for the hearer, Lord, to, to parse through, Lord, whichever is, is, Lord, can be discarded, Lord, and to receive, Lord. So, um, Lord, we're hungry, we're thirsty, we need you. And uh, so we, we come and ask, Father, for your presence, ask for your spirit here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we are starting a new series um, on, on Proverbs. And it's, um, it's actually a series on wisdom. So we're going to do, the way it's going to look, we're going to be four messages in, in Proverbs. And uh, then there will be four messages out of Ecclesiastes. And then four messages out of Job. So um, in Proverbs, we're um, exploring wisdom and fear, work and discipline, wealth, generosity, and words and kindness. Ecclesiastes, uh, Darren's going to explore basically the, the wisdom and anomalies of life um, and, uh, and the, 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 the decay over time and the certainty of death. How do we process all that? Um, and then finally, Job is our, our test case uh, of wisdom applied and um, what 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 happens? What do we do when life goes in a different direction than than we had we had planned? So anyway, um, guys, I'm I'm hopefully gonna feel it would be appropriate to introduce Proverbs. Um, I don't want to take a ton of time doing this, but so Proverbs, the backdrop, it's um it it doesn't stand alone um, as in in ancient uh, writings. Um, it stands amongst many uh, writings of of wisdom and. Um, particularly those of Egypt, Edom, Arabia, Babylon, and, and Phoenicia. Um, and we can see that uh, the Old Testament alludes to those. The, um, but the rapid spread of, of Solomon's fame, um, and, and we see this flocking of people to Solomon, that just highlights um, that, that, um, that the intellectual climate was, was, was people 
wanting wisdom. Um, it wasn't just Israel that wanted wisdom. You had the Queen of Sheba traveling. She had heard great stories and travels to um, to see and, and to verify that, that you know, um, is, is Solomon the, really all that, that I hear him to be? So, um, and we've got, um, and one reason we know so much about the ancient um, writings of wisdom is that for scribes, um, that was their assignment. They were given the assignment to to write or copy um, uh, these these books of, of wisdom, and I guess that's what they did as training before they graduated to you know bigger and greater things that were I guess more or more interesting um, or or more more complex. But um, so um, so it is with this this backdrop that that we have proverbs. Um, so authorship. Um, so many people think. That Proverbs, um, you know, that the author is established uh, in what we just heard, in what we call the prologue of Proverbs, verses 1 through 7 in chapter 1, um, where, it's, where it's, it's declared, like, hey, Proverbs of Solomon. But as we read on, it actually is more complex than that. Um, for instance, in, in chapter 22 and 24, there's mention of the wise people, the wise uh, being authors. Uh, then there's mentions of, of two kings, um, Agar and Lemuel, um, and that's in chapter 30 and 31 respectively. They, um, we don't know much about these guys. There's, there's not a lot mentioned in other, in other parts of the Bible. Um, and then we have 10, chapter 10 and 25 mentioned Solomon again, um, but also um, the latter, chapter 25, uh, uh, refers to the advisors of King Hezekiah of Judah. So, um, so the question of, of Proverbs is, is, is more than what we see in, in Proverbs 1. And um, there's a, quite a variety of, of opinions among scholars. Um, so uh, they say that the Proverbs in general are, are uh, attributed to Solomon because of his, his fame and his association with this this. Um, God-given wisdom. Um, and then, um, uh, but the majority of, of present-day scholars, they limit Solomon's contributions to chapters 10 through 22 and then 25 through 29. Um, uh, and the reason for that is um, so chronological and also the style of writing um, that uh, was present in the day. The, um, but we do know that Proverbs is, is an anthology. It's written over a period of time. Um, we don't know how long um, we have, um, but we are on firm, firm grounds that, that for those who believe and, and attribute it to Solomon, that's uh, 10th century BC, um, and then King Hezekiah, his men, that's 700 BC. So, um, and then the exact date of these editings of these wise men and the, the men of King Hezekiah, we don't know those. So it's, it's virtually impossible to date. Um, but some believe, again, that the literary characteristics point to particular time periods um, and specifically the use of certain words and constructs typically found in writings of, of different periods. So um, beginning loosely, if we look at King Solomon, we're talking 500 years after Moses, 900 years before Christ. So, um, and guys, 
I don't do this all the time. So you're going to see me reading some stuff. Um, I hope that doesn't bother you. I hope it's not a distraction. Um, it's just that my brain is of, of, a, of a bear of small brain, um, if you like A.A. A. Milne. Um, but <laughs> I'm sorry. The, um, so what is the book of Proverbs? Um, Bill, did I just mess this up? We're still good? Okay, cool. Um, what'd you say? Okay, excellent. So, um, and guys, also, if you feel like I'm rushing, it's not that I'm nervous. It's just that I've got more stuff here than, than we probably have time for. So, um, so that's, that's why I'm kind of like hustling through this, this portion. So, the, what is the book of Proverbs? Um, the structure of Proverbs, um, it's traditionally viewed in two parts. So, you got chapters one through nine, um, which is basically a series of 17 discourses. We don't, it's really hard to determine where they end and where they begin, but they kind of, most people believe it's like 17 discourses. Um, and most of the discourses are spoken as a father to a son. Um, but we also hear a woman's voice. Um, we hear woman wisdom, um, and really her voice is at the, pa- is at the, the heart of the, the, the entire message of, of Proverbs. And then, so Proverbs is, from 10 to 31, um, these are more individual Proverbs, um, which is probably the way that most of us think of Proverbs. So you'll, you'll hear, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances might. And one of my favorites, better to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than a fool bent on folly. It's like, I, I love that one, um, but... <laughs> So, um, so the chief purpose of, um, of Proverbs from the prologue, we learn it's to teach wisdom. So at the very top of the list of the book's purposes is the teaching of wisdoms. And we just heard from Stephen, thank you for reading that. Uh, I will not go through that again. One thing I will say, that verse seven, um, chapter one says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom. We're going to, and I maybe Michael Gregory is kind of cringe when I say this, and maybe there's probably scholars rolling around right now um, if they're listening. I'm going to treat verse 7 in chapter 1 just like verse 10 in chapter 9. That says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So I'm going to concentrate on on wisdom, and fear. So fear um, being the beginning of, of uh, wisdom. So the, um, so the word in, in um, Hebrew um, for wisdom and wise, it's hakma and hakam. They run throughout the prologue and the rest of the book. So, um, so they understand the book of Proverbs. We really need to understand that the fundamental concept, wisdom is the goal. Um, and, it's, um, and the authors, I'll use authors, um, they use several, several means, literary um, constructs to help us understand wisdom. So it includes the, like contrast, you know, wise son and the fool, you know, wisdom and folly. The personification of inanimate things, wisdom and folly. And the uh, attribution of, of wisdom to a series of animals in chapter um, 30, that the ant, the rock badger, the locust, the lizard, I'm sure we're all familiar with those. Go listen, read those. I'm sure homeschoolers, those were part of, those were core, core curriculum 
um, go to the ant. And uh, so, um, but since the, the book's purpose, after all, is to make us the readers wise, it is clearly important to understand the nature of wisdom in order to benefit from the book. So we're going to, this might seem out of order, so the scripture I just read is, fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of wisdom. We're going to talk about wisdom first, and then we're going to spend the majority of our time on, on the fear of the Lord. That might sound reversed to your mind, it's just, but that's why we're doing it. Um, so let's start with wisdom. Um, what's, what's wisdom? What Wisdom is not. It's not intelligence. I think we all know that. It's a high IQ doesn't mean you're intelligent. Um, and it's not a prerequisite for becoming wise. Um, some have said that wisdom is, is a difficult concept. Um, at the most basic level, um, wisdom is the skill of living. It's practical knowledge that helps one know how to act, how to speak, and the ability to avoid problems, and the skill to handle problems when they present themselves. That all sounds simple, right? But its context is what makes it difficult. We don't you know, life is just not this homogenous context. It's not, no, we're, we're in different situations, different challenges all the time. And um, so knowing what to do, how to speak in each context is, um, is a challenge. And we, I think one of the biggest things, you know, what to say. Um, we call this having a filter. Um, and we know plenty of people who, who don't have one. And... <laughs> And, um, and or, or we are that, pe- that person. <laughs> so, um, all right, so the Oxford English Dictionary defines wisdom as capacity of judging rightly in matters relating to life and conduct, soundness of judgment in the choice of means and ends, sometimes and less strictly sound sense, especially in practical affairs. So, um, that was the definition I found that was, was I think, most, most practical and most helpful. And, and, um, but interestingly, when, you, when I did the Google search, probably half of the responses came up um, and included experience. Um, and in a way that implied that if you have experience, you have this contextual knowledge, you have this, this capacity. Um, I, I don't think it works that way. Um, I don't think there'd be probably too many who would, who would disagree with that. Um, I know too many people, including myself, who go through and have an experience, um, but when presented with the same um, situation, do the exact same thing. That experience, you know, yeah, we had the experience. Now we have it twice, um, or three times, or we, you know, it just goes in perpetuity. So, so we, so it doesn't. Um, yeah, so experience doesn't mean that we have wisdom. Um, so, which is why I like John Piper's definition of wisdom. I think I have a slide for this. Um, so, wisdom always combines, one, general knowledge of the facts about reality, two, the more specific and the immediate discernment or insight or intuition into the less perceptible but crucial dynamics of the situation, and three, the necessary resolve to act on that knowledge and that insight. We won't act as wisely as we could if we are ignorant of relevant, relevant reality or if we are undiscerning of the immediate dynamics of the situation or if we simply don't 
have the resolve to act because we are lazy or afraid. So Piper concluded that later down where he says, in a sinful and dangerous world, almost all acts of wisdom require some measure of courage. So there's, we see it all day. I, I was thinking you know, the examples I've seen is like you know the general in, in war. I didn't want to use that just because we've got enough war going on. Um, but you think about like the pilot of a plane or the captain of a ship. He's got to know his, his equipment. He's got to know his crew, his capabilities, and how it's going to handle in situations. He's got to be aware of the, 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 um, the, the situation awareness, the weather, and how it's going to affect him. Then he's got to make decisions, and then he's got to have the courage, or the, he's got to have the resolve to actually make changes. So, um, all right, so that's wisdom. Um, now, wisdom is not an end. It's the means. It's a means to something. Um, and... Um, I believe that Proverbs and God poses to us um, the question is, you know, what, what is the end of, of our wisdom? What are we looking for? Um, so from Proverbs, I think we can argue that God's design for wisdom is to live a life enjoying God and enjoying God to the fullest. So it is his design that we love living by embracing wisdom upon which he founded creation. And we see that um, the blessed is the one who finds wisdom, the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. And that is not in the slide. And that is um, Proverbs 3, 13 through 18. So that's why I think God devotes so much of Scripture to, to the instruction of wisdom. But, um, but let's not be ignorant that there is, and I don't think we are, but there is other voices of wisdom out there telling us how to live how to, to advance, how to become successful, um, and how to pursue a bunch of pleasures that are lesser pleasures than, than God himself. So, um, so God's wisdom warns us of dangers of walking those treacherous paths, and, and Proverbs is, is full of, of what happens when we, we walk down that path, full of warnings, and actually tells us, it's like, hey, you go down this path, this is where we're going to wind up. And uh, in many situations, it's not, it's not pretty. So that is, is wisdom. And hang on, let me check my time. All right, that took way too much time. Um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, let's move on to the fear of the Lord. And this is where we're going to spend the remainder of our time. Um, so we all know fears. We all know claustrophobia. We all know arachnophobia. Um, this one, glossophobia. Anyone know what that one is? Glossophobia. It's a fear of speaking in public. So, <laughs> um, and and to be honest with you guys, thankfully I've I've, I've I'm I'm not yeah I've yeah it's it's interesting. Um, I haven't been fearful of this, but uh, by God's kindness. So, and here's some really unfortunate ones. Um, chromophobia. Fear of colors. Or this one is really like chronophobia. 
That's the fear of time. I, I, I mean, these are probably, I mean, I'm sure there's real, and there's, I, 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 my heart goes out to those people who, have, who, who deal with that. Um, and, um, okay, this one, maybe you guys knew, this, this is new to me. Hippomonstro sesquipedaliophobia. Yeah, who said it? Yeah, Isaac, yeah. So, hippopato monstro sesquipedaliophobia. It's the fear of long words. That's, that's, just an, <laughs> that's just an act of cruelty. I mean, that's just wrong. So, um, so our focus is, um, our fear is going to be on, on the believer. But, but if, if you're an unbeliever, what's the fear of the Lord? So, it is a force that, that, that drives the unbeliever further from God. They, they encounter holy God, and, and it pushes them away from God. They want to get God out of their mind. They want to get out of the context where God is. And, um, and if there, a thought comes to them, it's, 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 it's dramatic. It's traumatic, and it can be. Um, so, but recently, I had a conversation with someone who, who um, this person's been a, a, a believer for, for a number of years, and they, could, they were telling me about their struggle with, with the fear of the Lord. So they couldn't. Think about grace, think about God's goodness, think about God's loving kindness. Um, but when fear enters the, the, the equation, it, um, it, it's hard to reconcile that. It it's, uh, kind of sends their mind a bit into, uh, into conflict. So I don't think um, that person's completely alone. Um, and so we're gonna, you know, again, um, just dive into to fear. Um, most of the stuff I got from from Charles Spurgeon um, and uh, John Piper and some other people, uh, but uh, but yeah, the majority of this is is um, there's there's no thoughts here that are my own. Um, <laughs> so so fear is a word which has very wide range of meaning. There's kind of fear which is to be shunned and avoided, and that's that's the fear that that perfect love casts out because it is torment. Um, and I think we probably experience torment at different times in our lives. Um, but there is another sort of fear which has in it the very essence of love. So let's look at a scripture together, and this is where we're going to kind of dovetail our, our conversation. Hosea 3.5. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God, and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Such a great scripture. From this passage, we see that the nature or the fruit of having the fear of the Lord is compels us to him. It is a fear that draws us to God and makes us search after him, the search after his goodness. The man who has fear in his heart cannot live without seeking God's face. That, let that sit. I mean, that one, when I first saw that, it's like the man who has fear in his heart cannot live without seeking God's face. Out of fear of God, we as children of God, we come, we confess our sin, we receive pardon from him, we seek after him, we seek after his goodness, and, um, and that's, the re- that's the fruit of fear. So when you really know God, you shall be extremely happy if you run toward him, falling down before him, worshiping him with bowed head, yet glad heart, all the while fearing towards him and not away from him. So one more scripture here, or not scripture, one more 
quote, blessed is the man whose heart is filled with that holy fear which inclines his steps in the way of God's commandments, inclines his heart to seek after God, and inclines his whole soul to enter into fellowship with God, that he may be acquainted with him and be at peace. So in this verse, Hosea is pointing to, to Jesus. Jesus is God's goodness, and it is in Christ that we have all the goodness and the mercy and grace of God condensed and concentrated. And that's based on Colossians 1, verse 19. And the fear, and this kind of fear is a sign of grace in the heart. Um, that fear which we ought to seek after comes to the believers through Christ. So without Christ, we don't have a proper fear of the Lord. When we are born again and our hearts are renewed, God sets in us this um, love for him and this, this reverence for him that, that the more we see of him, the more we fear him, um, we, the more we are drawn to him. So, um, so there are, I'm, gonna, I'm basically skipping over a bunch of stuff here. Um, it is 1048, and I know this is a little bit informal, um, I'm thinking that I'm not going to end in our normal time frames. Is, <laughs> is, is that okay, guys? I mean, I will, I will try um, to finish up here in like 20 minutes. Is that okay? Okay, good. Because the reason I say that, because I'm finding myself being distracted by time, and it's like so. Um, cool. Thank you. Um, Good, good. What was that? Fear of time. Oh, chrono chronophobia, something like that. Yeah. That's, thank you, Phil. That's, I, I guess I, I am experiencing that, aren't I? Okay, so, um, so this fear draws us to God. It causes us to search for him, to run to him, to enjoy his goodness to us in Jesus. There are things that we see here an experience that intensifies this fear. Um, and um, we want to explore what some of those things are. So I've got a series of, of five points. Um, yes, we're breaking the three-point rule. But we got five points. So, um, so what are these things? What are um, these things that... that basically put gas in our tank, so to speak, that push us harder after God. So, point one, fear as regard, as regard to God's greatness. So, if you look at it another way, it's, it's basically, this, we're talking about great esteem or respect or affection for the greatness of God. It is basically this sense of awe. And um, we all, we've all had it, we've all experienced it, sitting in, in, in your quiet time, enjoying the word of God, um, you, you just have this, this sense of awe that, that hushes over you, that calms over you, um, and then bows our hearts to, to God. Um, so we know that from Scripture, but we also see um, it from, from nature. So um, maybe it's from gazing at the vastness of the ocean or looking up at the innumerable stars in the heavens. Um, uh, I know we've, we've spent some time on these before, but um, there's some interesting things that, like, 
that scientists have discovered with the James Webb Space Telescope, um, discovery of six new galaxies, and, and it's, it's pretty amazing. They got one that says it's like 13.1 billion light years away. Okay, you know, for the creationists, um, who, who, you know, never mind. Um, <laughs> that, might, that, might be a, that might cause the brains to tilt, but um, with over 100 billion stars, you know what our, our Milky Way, that our sun, is one of a hundred billion stars. Um, and uh, that's, that's mind-boggling. And so when we get to Psalms 147, verse 4, he determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them names. hundred billion stars, just our galaxy. Um, and they, they discovered six others. I don't know how many other galaxies. And each one, like, hundred billion stars. That, that, that's mind-boggling. Animal kingdom, there are so many examples, so many things. One of my favorites is, is like migratory birds that have the ability to uh, um, have a sense for magnetic fields that causes them to navigate air travel to a specific spot um, each year with pinpoint accuracy, um, sometimes flying over open water for a week. Um, and uh, so long-standing mystery, and scientists are just finding out that they're, they're thinking that there's a molecule in the eyes of these birds that, um, uh, that basically turn their eyes into compasses, um, and it's, it's, it's totally amazing. So thunderstorms, um, all these great things that we see turn our hearts, turn our attention to God's greatness. And yet, um, and sometimes there, there's, these things are scary, um, but um, we're, we're not scared per se in them because we know the author, we know the creator, and, um, and we know, and there's this actually rejoicing like in, in our Father's strength, in his power, and we're happy. You know, I don't know about you, I, I enjoy thunderstorms. I mean, they're, they're, they're terrifying to some people. I enjoy thunderstorms. It's just like listening to thunder, these, these loud claps um, as explosions of, of thunder and these lightnings. It's like, um, but, um, but in all this, um, we end up, and I end up, feeling really small. Um, we are sometimes almost all but annihilated in the presence of, of God. These things make us feel small. I don't know about you, when you were made to feel small by someone, you typically don't like that. Um, we either run or we lash out and then run. Um, this is the only context and place on the planet where we rightly feel small is before our holy and mighty God. So. And we at times find ourselves talking about the greatness of mankind, but Isaiah says, all the nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing. Vanity. When we realize this, we are filled with a holy awe, and we think of God's greatness, and the result of that is that we are moved to fall before him in reverent adoration. So what else causes our hearts to run in fear towards God? So fear in regards to God's holiness. So I want to point out to you that this fear of God's holiness is the same fear we just talked about in, in the, the, the greatness of God. We're just looking at it from a different point of view. So what is God's holiness? So best place to go is R.C. Sproul. So we have a quote from him. 
I notice in our own language and vocabulary, the term holy seems to be used among us, particularly among Christians, as a synonym for moral purity and righteousness. Or, I'm sorry, or righteousness. There's nothing wrong with that, but when the Bible speaks about God's holiness, the primary thrust of those statements is to refer to God's transcendence, to his magnificence, to that sense in which God is higher and superior to anything there is in the creaturely realm. Again, the simplest way to discuss this is to say that which is holy is that which is different. Our God is a holy God. There's no fault in him. There's no deficiency. There's no dependence. He is whole and complete in the fullest meaning of those terms. And therefore, he is holy. There's nothing else out there but himself. He is holy, perfect. Holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. So, so we look in Revelation. Holy, holy, holy is a fitting acclamation by the mysterious creatures as they observe God ruling and acting according to his untarnished, unblemished um, holiness. Revelation 4.8. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So what's amazing to me is, is this is day and night. This is every day, every night, all the time. And, and it's not rote. They're just not saying it because... It's someone's holding up a cue card, hey, you know, or this is what you are to do. This is in response to what they are seeing. This is in response to, they never stop seeing new facets, new aspects of God's infinite being. For all eternity, past and all eternity forward, he is infinite and will be revealing his infiniteness. And that's why we will fall down. That's why we, we worship now. That's why when we are with Jesus, we will fall down and we will worship because we will just see our God is infinite and he is like no other. So when we get a glimpse of his divine holiness, though sometimes we are filled with fear and that's because of our sin and we end up crying like, like Job. So I, I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. That fear is because of the sin, our indwelling sin, our sinfulness. That fear, though, doesn't send us running. It pushes us to repentance. It motivates us to be more like God and to be holy and separate, shunning what God calls detestable, rejecting of all self-complacency and self-conceit. This fear is concern that we not bring offense to our great and loving, gracious Savior. So we need to cultivate this fear. We, um, Isaiah's vision of the Lord had, had profound humbling effects on, on his, his life. And as we decrease in our own estimation of ourselves, we feel that we love him more and more. And, we, and as we realize our own nothingness, we are more than ever conscious of the greatness of our God. So, um, so yeah, Lord, grant us 
that we may be completely delivered from all these forms of pride and, and evil that obstruct our view of, of him. All right, fear as regard to the sovereignty of God. Again, this fear, same fear, we're just viewing it from a different perspective. So um, this fear leads us to obey him, obey him as king. This God who we pray to, whom we ask, who we seek help from, he is king of kings and lords of lords, lord of lords, and we gladly honor and submit to his sovereignty. So when we talk about God's sovereignty, what we mean is that God owns and oversees his creation to such a degree that nothing happens apart from his knowledge, apart from his will, apart from his wisdom, and I'll add, according to his loving kindness and goodness. Nothing can successfully stop any act or any event or design or purpose that God intends to bring about. He can override all of the powers and authorities. So we see God sitting upon a throne which is dependent upon no human, dependent upon no angelic being. The kings of the earth, they must ask their fellow man, to march in ranks, not God. God doesn't need anyone to sustain his rulership, his, his, um, his kingship. He sits on no precarious throne, nor requires anything of anyone to be king. So excellent, so glorious, so far above everything that God, or that could be desired, far above our highest thought or wish is our God that we bend our wills and lie before him as nothing. Yet even as we do, we feel another sensation springing up within us. The more we fear the Lord, the more we love him. It did. And that's, this is the true essence of the fear of the Lord, to love him with all our heart and mind and soul and strength. So moving on, fear as regard to God's goodness. God's goodness often fills us with amazement, and amazement has in it the fear of the Lord. We should regularly look back over our lives and just recount God's goodness. He saved us from sin and death. He, he's making us his child. And then try to recount the numerous ways that he has blessed you over the years in his gracious acts of providence. We are astonished at the Lord's gracious dealings with us, and we say to him, why have you been so good to me for so many years and in such multitudes of forms? Why have you manifested such mercy and tenderness towards me? You have treated me as if I had never grieved or offended you especially amazing since I was once a prodigal and wandered far from you. Do you ever wonder if God tires of you? I'm sure we've had friends who've tired of us and we're, we're, we're broken people. God never tires of us in Christ. He never tires of you. His mercy pours like a river and it flows on and on and has done so and without break and never will stop. 
He continues to bless us and has heaped his mercies mountain upon mountain higher than we can see at times. What shall we say to this? Shall we not fear him and adore him and bless him for all the goodness that he has made to pass before us? And we need one final thought on this. And we need to see God's goodness beyond the stuff that he gives us, the abilities he grants us. Because there is no greater goodness than himself. That's when he gave us Christ, we got God. He gave us God. And there is nothing that we can desire that, w- that, is, far, that is better um, or more satisfying or good than Christ himself. And finally, fear as regard to the fatherhood of God. When divine grace has given us new birth, we recognize that we are entered into a a fresh relationship towards God. Namely, that we are becoming his sons and daughters. At first... Oh, that's nice. So, so, so yeah, 1 John chapter 3. So what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. He's given us his spirit that within us cries, Abba, Father. When we recognize that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, children of the highest, adopted into the family of the eternal himself, we feel at once as the spirit of childhood works within us that we both love and fear our great Father in heaven who has loved us with an everlasting love. For he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. I'm going to skip, Michael, the one. Um, no, it's a short one. So next. So in this childlike fear, there is not an atom of that fear which signifies being afraid. We who believe in Jesus are not afraid of our Father. God forbid that we should ever be. The nearer we can get to him, the happier we are. Our highest wish is to be forever with him and to be lost in him. Because of this, we pray that we may not grieve him. That's, we just, we love God. We don't want to grieve him. And as children, we, we feel holy awe and reverence as we, as we realize our relationship to him as our father in heaven. So, wrapping up here, there are some other effects of the fear of the Lord. I'll just name these. Um, One is that the fear of the Lord leads us to a sense of responsibility. Basically, it's like like David in in verse 12 of, um, oh, I don't have the psalm here. Okay. Um, Where he says, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? 
the previous verses, previous 11 verses to that, the psalmist is just talking about God being so gracious, merciful, and how he has answered his pleas for mercy, how he's answered his prayers for deliverance and distress, anguish, death, and he's preserved his soul. And David's response was, what shall I render to the Lord? That should be our, our response. Obviously, there's nothing that we can give God that he's concerned about. He's concerned about our hearts. I mean, he's, we, what can we give? He's given everything to us. All that we have is as we've received from him. But um, if we keep a heart that's aware of his goodness, and that awareness will result in fear that will propel us to live a life that is a fragrant offering. Um, fear that leads us to gratitude. This is a huge one to me. Um, uh, if you could indulge me on this for just a few more minutes. Um, I think it's a big one to God. I remember hearing, when I was a young believer, I remember hearing a preacher saying that his belief was that gratitude was the highest praise that we could offer to God. And I think I, I, I agree with him. Um, and one, there's many, many verses in the Bible that talk about um, give thanks to the Lord, give thanks, giving thanks always for everything. Give thanks in all circumstances. Um, but what gratitude does in like one fell swoop, it, um, it, one, it acknowledges God's goodness. It acknowledges that God is a giving God. God is a merciful God. And it also humbles us because we are acknowledging it. We're receiving it. We're acknowledging that, that we are in need and that we are recipients. The giver gets the glory and he is honored and he is honored when, when we acknowledge that and he, he's honored when we give thanks to him for that. So, um, so the fear of the Lord helps cultivate this gratitude. Um, and I think the thing that we, the only thing that we really should fear is, um, or that we should truly fear is the offense of ingratitude. Um, and then kind of tied with that is fear of becoming proud. When we understand God, when we see his greatness, when we understand who he is, his holiness, um, it sets our hearts trembling in, in, a, in a good way. And it and it's, keeps us from being proud. Um, and um, fear of the Lord causes us to realize that the Lord has brought me into the banqueting house and his banner over me is love. He has sustained me with bounty and comforted me to, to my depths. He has laid bare his very heart to me in Christ, has made me know that I am greatly loved. So, so in conclusion, um, we tremble because of all God's goodness, which God has made to pass before us. We learn and grow in the fear of the Lord through his greatness, through his holiness, his sovereignty, his goodness, his fatherhood. This fear draws us to God. It causes us to search for him, causes us to run to him, to, causes us to enjoy the goodness, his goodness to us in Jesus. So let's grow in the fear of the Lord. Things that are available to us today and every day is the word of God. Let's run to the word. And then the other thing, let's, let's worship and let's give thanks. So let's pray.
Lord, we are grateful for your word. Lord, we're grateful that you've opened our eyes, Lord, that, that we can see these things, Lord, your goodness, your greatness, your holiness, your sovereignty, your fatherhood. Lord, and Father, like a, a snowball, I pray that this word would, 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 would grow and build Lord, that, that the fear that we have, that when we, we look to you, we'll, we'll fear more, Lord, and our love will grow, and, and that'll force us or, or cause us and compel us to, to look more, and, and we just continue to grow. And Lord, that we would just grow and abound in the fear of the Lord and our love for you. And Lord, all the while just enjoying you all the more. So God, would you set our hearts Lord, on this journey, on this way, Lord, wherever we start, Lord, whether it be a snowflake or, or a, a, a snowball size or, or a, a snowman sized wall of snow, Lord, Lord, help us, compel us, push us, Lord, um, that we would, would grow in you. Lord, we thank you for your spirit, Lord, who lives within us. Thank you, Lord. Um, Father, I pray that, that if there's something here that, that, hearts can latch on to, Lord, that you would bring reminders during the week, Lord, um, that we would be reminded of all these things of you, and um, Lord, that we would, um, it would compel us again towards you. That's our prayer. Lord, you are our delight. You are our God, and Lord, we, we worship you and honor you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.